so, yeah, uh, I lied, or rather, I was inaccurate, I was wrong. Uh, we had to have one more filler episode. This is full tilt filler. This this is to the wall, no really filler, which is a shame. It's by Chris Black, directed by Roxanne Dawson, which does help salvage it a little bit. What's also interesting is this is a super duper bottle show. Very low effects, very few sets, nothing but the main sets of the ship itself. Uh, very few lines for most of the crew members. Most people only had like a one day, actually a couple hours shoot in most cases. So yeah, this was an extremely cheap episode to produce. Which is the point. Remember, one of the things they've been doing this season is very carefully allocating their budget wherever they can in order to try and, you know, sell it, in order to sell the big arc of the Zindi arc. And, well, they are trying to make sure that a lot of that budget is shown when it's needed. So far, they've been doing a good job of it. So an episode like this makes perfect sense. You need something where there's a dip in expenses in order to be able to afford where there's a bump, right? Logic. So that doesn't bother me. Um... What does bother me is I kind of can't talk about this episode without comparing it to one over in season four of Voyager, which is superior to this episode in every single possible way. Here's the thing. First of all, the premise is near identical. Hey, there's a giant thing we have to get through. It would take too long to go around it. But if we put the crew into stasis, we can go through it. But one person has to stay up because they are uniquely suited to being immune to whatever they're going through. Okay. Now, this episode... <sighs> I might actually use this going forwards as a way of explaining bullet point syndrome. Because they took the core... Uh, no. They took the surface concepts of one and didn't do anything with them. One was a heavy laser-focused character piece centered entirely around Seven, her position within the crew. Remember, she'd only been with the crew for effectively that season, right? Like, she was still very new and still trying to find her place. It was about her arc that she was going through at the time, which admittedly was torpedoed afterwards. But at the time, it was still a complete arc. It was about her fears, her perspectives, how she felt about the rest of the crew, how she worried they felt about her and how they thought about her, how much it mattered to her, how she was willing to push against certain stimuli, how much she hated the concept of being alone, despite the fact that she portrayed herself as a loner. I could keep going. It was just character, 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 character. Just bam! Wonderful, amazing, like I said, laser-focused on her. And, of course, Jerry Ryan is amazing and managed to uh, sell it, you know, do an excellent job with it. Now, no offense to Mr. Billingsley. He is actually a great actor. And he is the only reason this episode is not, you know, in the terrible category. Because there's nothing here. This is a surface-level base imitation which doesn't manage any of the complexities or nuances. Let me let me put this a different way. Because I want to use an analogy here, and I like to use food analogies, so here we go. Let's say you sit down and you have a particular Mexican dish. Let's say it's enchiladas, okay? So you're like, oh, God, this is so good. And you go to your friend or your loved one or your mother or whatever, and you're like, oh, God, these enchiladas were so good. And they're like, hey, I can make enchiladas. So... They go and oh, no no no. Let me let me actually walk that back a step. Let's really push this. Let's say that you say, God, I love that ah, this Mexican place. It was great food. I loved it. So they're like, I can make Mexican food. So they look up what Mexican food is. Let's assume for a moment they don't know, and they give you a dish that's like badly cooked rice 
with dried beans that are, that don't have any sauce on them, all wrapped up in a tortilla that's cold. And there's like a couple of bits of, I don't know, spinach on it or something. And it's, it's just terrible, but it's Mexican food. That is this episode. It's someone who had no idea, and at every individual point where they could have succeeded, they instead failed. Right at the get-go, they fail. Okay, there's a giant anomaly in their way. All right. Well, it's going to take us two weeks to go around it. Well, that sucks. We'll just have to go through it then. Well, no, that's going to take uh, four. Uh, we, 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 it's going to take us an hour at warp. Okay, that's not too bad. Wait, wait. We don't want to warp in there. All right, that's valid. Strange, but valid. So we're going to have to go through an impulse. Something that would take you two weeks to go around at, at um, what I'm assuming is minimum distance, because, you know, space is 3D. So minimum rotation around this thing is two weeks at warp five. And it's going to take you four days to go through at impulse. I've complained before about how Enterprise has no idea the difference in warp speeds, which is funny because sometimes they actually get it quite right, but for the most part, they get it completely wrong. And this is, um, yeah, this is one of the wrong ones. That makes absolutely no sense. They might as well just do what Voyager did, which was they were going through at warp. It was just deadly to the crew. Okay, so, cool. First problem. Second problem is they decide to go ahead and... Just kind of follow a day in the life of Flocks. Now, I like Billingsley. I do. He's, he's one of the better actors on the show, and his character is surprisingly engaging. I've found myself liking Flocks a lot more than I thought I would. But they don't do anything with him. This, again, goes back to that cheap imitation concept I mentioned earlier. There's, with one exception, no characterization for Flocks here. We don't learn about his past or his perspectives or his ideals of the crew, or how he interacts with others, or what he thinks of Tucker or Archer or Paul as they show up to do their lines in hallucination format. Number one, I do, because I actually watched part of it in preparation for this, just to refresh myself. And you know what happened? I felt something. Now, that probably sounds strange, but let me be very clear about this. Evoking emotional reaction in me doesn't just happen, and it doesn't happen all that often. But it was, it was emotional watching the conclusion, because I, I watched the final tidbit, the final like five minutes. It was emotional watching her descend as she's freaking the hell out, as her logical brain is telling her all these things. As, and we not only see this in her perspective, the hallucinations are literally her mind speaking to each other. So we hear them say, she's already figured this out. It is the most logical and efficient thing to do to sacrifice some of the crew to save the rest of it. It's simply how this is going to work out. And finally, she makes the call, and they're like, yep, nope, I knew. And, and you know, fake Tom is like, I knew she didn't care about us. And she just kind of starts, ah, and she can't even move properly because how much this is getting to her. And she rushes down to the thing and is like, well, they're going to die. And you just see her descending into panic, straight up panic, because she just can't deal with this, and finally she realizes the solution shuts off her life support to, to retransfer life support to them, and as she dies, she uh, well, but she thinks she's dying, she gives this final declaration I am seven of nine I'm actually tearing up just a little bit thinking about it it's a great scene it's a great episode, this is not this is Flocks wandering around, checking up on people dictating a letter talking to his dog, having a reference to Twilight Zone, 
deciding to go and watch uh, The Court Jester, which actually, by the way, I highly recommend you watch if you get the time. It's a 1955 flick. should be relatively easy to get a hold of. And um, it's a good film. If, if you wonder what kind of film it is, this tip, the little tidbit you see in this episode is a good indicator. And, of course, he's interacting with T'Pol the whole time. And there's no inter- interplay or interaction. It's just him saying, no, you've got to believe me. There's something going on. The episode isn't a character piece, which means it leans on its plot. But there's nothing there to the plot, which means it leans on the threat. But there's actually not really a threat, which means it leans on absolutely nothing. And that's my problem. It point in fact, there are only actually two things that this episode has going for it. One is Billingsley. Now, I, again, I've said this twice now. He absolutely gets credit, and he does help make this episode not terrible. But they don't give him anything to do. He freaks out a bit, you know, ah, he sees the insectoids, he rushes around, he mans up at the last minute to try and defend the ship when he's not sure he can do it. Okay. That's kind of it. With one notable exception. And that is the fact that we see that his denobulinness is really on display. Now, the, the thing is, this doesn't work as well. Seven was a loner who constantly was standoffish and tried to push other people away from her. But when she was actually alone, the whole thing terrified her. When she actually got what she believed she wanted, she realized how much she didn't want it and how much she wanted to be part of that community again. This is part of her character arc, after all. It was a huge moment for her and a huge developing moment, which they never really followed through on because Voyager, but it still was a great moment. It's, Voyager was good at that. They were good at good episodes that were never followed through on. It was kind of... TNG 2.0. Phlox doesn't have any of that. He has self-assuredness. He has loyalty to the crew. He enjoys interacting with the group. He hates being alone. He actually mentions in, I believe it's the first or second episode ever of Enterprise, how much he loves just going to the mess hall and observing people and the mess hall because of how much he finds it fascinating to be a part of that community thing and just part of the social thing. It's also been mentioned in arguably better than this, I would argue. Arguably argued? God, I can't even talk straight. It has been arguably presented better, I would state, prior to now, that flocks and denobulans in general are extremely social creatures, more than we are. You know, human beings are fairly social creatures, but flocks? <laughs> Denobulans? Remember we talked about how they have so many mates and so many children, and it's just part of their social structure to have this web. Remember that? We actually ta- discussed that. So that's already there. That is repeated in this episode. It, it is mentioned how much he misses having a group and having a crew and having social interaction. I mean, he even goes to movie night by himself and is just like, come on, you know? But that's nothing new. It's just a reiteration of what we already knew. It's a nice reiteration, and he does a decent job with it, but that's it. So, decent performance from a good actor. What else we got? Well, there's the twist. It's not that great of one, if I might be so bold. It looks like it's clever. They do some good foreshadowing. I paid attention, and I wrote down some notes. First of all, Paul's not there at movie night. Now, if you've been paying attention, you'll remember T'Pol loves movie night. Ever since she was convinced to go, that's kind of her shtick. So if she was up, she'd be there. Oh, I suppose I should say the second, that is to say first actual hint, is the fact that she's awake at all. This is the biggest part where it falls apart. He's hallucinating. He hasn't completely lost his mind. 
And yet the first thing he hallucinates is that T'Pol is up and about, even though he should be well aware that she's down and asleep since he put her that way. There's no reason for this to be a twist, certainly not to the point where he doesn't even realize it until he goes to her quarters at the end. The only reason this is a thing is for us to sort of to be a twist for the audience, and it's a cheat, which makes it not particularly clever. What would have worked a little bit better, because I don't like to criticize without critiquing, is have it be clear on first, so have it be clear on second viewing that he knows she's an hallucination. And he just embraces that because Remember, hallucinations can be healthy for a denobulant. That conversation is even referenced in this episode. So, have him embrace this and not really act like she's to Paul, and instead just kind of act like she's a voice in his head, right? Now, that would take a little bit of careful writing, but I think it could be doable. Then he goes, he's like, yes, let me go ahead and take you to your quarters, goes in, sees the sleeping to Paul, and is like, all seems to be well. And he isn't surprised by it at all because he knew all along. And thus it's more of a twist for us than him. This is, once again, going back to those Hitchcockian things, they know we don't. And that's the kind, that's a very particular type of suspense, very rarely done, but when it's done properly is awesome. And I think that could have helped salvage the episode at least a little bit. I also think really going into the character and doing something with the episode would have been great, but you know, that's a lot longer and more complex of a thing because after all, you can't just say Mexican food. That's easy. Actually going through and figuring out which dishes to cook in what way, with what flavors, in what order, and how to combine them is much more complex. Just like making television. Or anything, really. But, so we've, sorry, so we've got the fact that she's up at all. We've got the fact that she's not at movie might. They go to have a meal. She doesn't eat anything. They go to, uh, the actress, and again, credit to her, gives an extremely dull performance for most of the episode, like like a good 30 minutes of the episode is her just being droll and bland and just <laughs> in a way that you would consider a typical Vulcan, which is very much not to Paul. Then there's the fact that uh, the... What does that say? Oh, then there's the fact that she references the hallucination conversation that to, uh, Phlox had with Hoshi not with T'Pol, so she shouldn't be aware of that. And finally, the fact that T'Pol is absolutely no help, despite the fact that she easily could be in many different ways, because he's there by himself, right? The episode doesn't have anything else really going for it. It leans on jump scares, random freakout sections, you know, generic things-are-going-weird moments that don't really develop or do anything. And, uh... Then they go to warp anyways because why not? By the way, it takes 28 minutes for the hallucinations to go over. So that's 28 minutes of the episode, which is just meandering before it even tries to go to the episode's actual point, which is the hallucinations, which, as I've already mentioned, is not particularly strong to begin with. What I'm left with is just a nothing burger. This is truly a filler episode, and not a particularly good one. What would you do with this? Now, Let's go ahead and be creative about this. Let's presume that you really got to hold back on the budget. This really has to be a bottle show. No guest stars. No special effects. You have to be set on the Enterprise. What do you do? Now, <laughs> let's uh, let's assume further that... So, see, the problem is the answer to that is super easy for me. It's barely an inconvenience to think about. The idea that just make it an entire episode that is character-focused. Not on flocks. On everyone. 
make this the breather episode. The uh, breather's the wrong word. Make this the inhalation. That sounds weird. It's the moment where you take the deep breath before the plunge, right? It's the it, everyone's just kind of tense and on edge. You know, we see Tucker who's just kind of having trouble dealing with it. He's going over the engines over and over again, and Paul notices and is like, "Maybe you would like to, you know, participate in movie night," and asks him to go to movie night together. You know, not in a romantic sense, literally just, "Hey, let's let's go degauze a little bit, okay." And so they go off to, to watch TV because she's not handling any of this well either. And you can just see in the tension of how she's sitting and how much she's gripping her hands that she's not, she's having trouble too. Hence leading to this discussion. Uh, have a thing with Travis where he's just staring at a picture of his mother and his brother. And, you know, there's no, there's no regret there. He's just staring at that like, I wonder what they would think. Would, would they be proud? Ashamed? Would they think I should be doing more? You know, and just have moments like that throughout the episode. The problem is that would be more expensive because now we have to have the whole cast there for the full eight-day shoot or whatever this ends up being. So let's say we have to go even cheaper than that. You have to focus on one character. Everyone else can only really be effectively a cameo. Now, my first pick would be Hoshi or Travis because they don't get any freaking time. But okay, fine. Now what do you do with it? And I'm going to leave this one open. I've already given some ideas to help percolate some thoughts there. What do you do when you have to focus on one character, you're stuck on the Enterprise, and you can't do any guest stars, and you can't do anything else, and that's your and that's your concept? We can throw the premise out the window completely, because it really doesn't matter. But those are your limitations as a creator. What would you do? Very curious. Very interested in your responses. And uh, I guess that's all I got. There's not much meat on these bones. Sorry. I will hopefully see you next time for a non-filler episode. Like... I, I didn't even remember this one, to be completely honest with you. I, I really didn't. And I looked at the upcoming episode list here. I'll pull it up really quick here over on the side. Because we've got Hatchery, which I don't remember. And then we've got Azadi Prime, which is a big one. Damage, which is a big one. Forgotten, which is a big one. E2. And then Council, Countdown, and Zero Hour. So I'm not sure about Hatchery and I'm not sure about E2. So that's two more potential filler episodes in this finale. Sure, a whole lot of uh, filler so a lot of uh, padding in this otherwise tightly focused ser- season. Which brings me to another thing. I was thinking about this earlier. I would have just cut the number of episodes. Take the budget, keep the budget for the season. But take that budget and spend it on the rest of them. If you're really that hard up, and if you really can't get the scripts, remember the story about Braga who was just freaking out over this. If you're really that hard up for scripts and you're really having that much problems... Axe the numbers, put out a shorter season, focus on what you got. That's what I would have done. Season three is certainly better than one and two, but man, these cracks are showing as we go through this. And if anything, I feel disappointed. I was really hoping I would be proven right effectively in how awesome this is, especially in comparison to one and two, but... eh. Anyways, enough rambling. I do apologize. I will see you next time for what may or may not be more filler.